This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, Matt Straub here welcoming you to the Roto World Fantasy Basketball Podcast. After last week's lottery draft season is very much upon us, and to that end, I am joined by the man writing the majority of the mock drafts for rotoworld.com. All of the mock drafts? Is he writing all of them? I don't know. He's writing a bunch of them. Raphael Johnson back on the show. Uh, Raphael, let's start at the top. We'll get to a bunch of draft, draft prospects and their fantasy outlooks today, but I want to talk Zion Williamson for just a minute here. The way I'm looking at this is I get the reasons for excitement among fantasy owners, right? 22.6 mm-hmm. points, 8.9 rebounds, 2.1 steals, 1.8 blocks as a freshman at Duke. That obviously, that right there alone offers just a ton of fantasy intrigue. For me, though, I'm really starting to think there's almost no way I'm going to get him in my fantasy leagues because the hype, I feel like, is already big. It's already a runaway train. And honestly, I think you have to be careful with that free throw percentage. Zion shot 64% from the line on 6.2 attempts, which is not awful, not a disaster, but I mean, that that alone can knock his value down a notch. So between that and what's likely to be a super high draft position, I think I'm going to let someone else draft him in all of my leagues. Do you want to try to convince me otherwise? I don't know. I think I agree. I, I kind of think that he'll be able to do other things, you know, within his game to kind of help make up for that. But the, the free throw shooting is a concern, especially when you think about how that can potentially correlate to perimeter shooting. You know, he wasn't particularly great at that at Duke either. So the staff down in New Orleans, we're going to assume that the Pelicans are going to take him first because, you know, why wouldn't they? But I think they're going to have some work to do in terms of his form. He's so physically strong that maybe that has something to do with his touch uh, from the foul line and from the perimeter. You know, he'll have even more time to work on it, you know, being a pro as opposed to to college where you're, you're somewhat limited in terms of how much time you have. But... I can see the concerns because of the free throw shooting. I just think that he'll be able to do other things within his game in terms of the rebounding, the overall scoring, you know, block shots, potentially some defensive stats to kind of help mitigate the the impact that the poor free throw shooting could have if he doesn't improve upon that. Yeah, I mean, and and I don't want this to be mistaken as like, I don't like the player. Like, I think he's, I I am on the side of, I think he's going to be awesome. I just think in in terms of fantasy, I I don't feel like you're getting any sort of discount because he's a rookie i feel like in fact you're you're paying more because he's a rookie and because yeah. of the unknown uh of what he'll do and and that excitement paying up for that excitement can pay off in fantasy but i feel like more often than not like you end up just a little bit let down based on what you spent in a draft yeah i could definitely see him going higher than he he probably should in some drafts just because of the zion factor i don't know about first round but it wouldn't surprise me if we heard some stories of people, you know, making that leap extremely early on a player of his potential. Yeah, I'm going full old man on this one. I'm just like, <laughs> I, I don't need that risk. I don't need. Yeah. I don't need that. Uh, you know, I don't know. Like, if you told me like I could get him around thirty, I think I'm in. But I don't think I can get in there. So that's where I land. So your second mock draft set to drop the same day as this episode on Wednesday. In your initial mock, you know, you had Zion going first to the Pelicans, John Morant to the Grizzlies at two, R.J. Barrett to the Knicks at three. 
hard to see that scenario uh, unfolding really any other way. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as Morant goes, I think a lot of us believe he's going to be a stud if and when Mike Conley is no longer in his path. So I want to kind of jump past him and talk about R.J. Barrett. My initial thought was I might be concerned about him landing in New York just given how messy their rotation was last year. But then I mm-hmm. really looked at the roster and the contracts, and that cupboard is very bare um, yeah. at the moment. So if Barrett goes there at three, I, I sort of think I can see him having value right away in fantasy. Do you agree? I do. There's a potential for a bit of a logjam at the you know small forward position, depending upon free agency. Obviously, you read the tea leaves, the comments about Kevin Durant, if that happens, obviously Kevin's going to start. Then you have Kevin Knox, who was their lottery pick last year. That being said, it's not like Kevin Knox set the world on fire this season. You look at the Knicks rookies, Mitchell Robinson was the best one in my view. So I think you'd have a bit of a competition there between Barrett and Kevin Knox if that scenario were to play out, as I stated. But yeah, I think Barrett, obviously there were some He's kind of a volume guy when it comes to shooting. That's what he was at Duke this past season. But he can get to his spots. Uh, I think the spacing of the pro game is going to help him a bit more than it did at the college level because teams were able to kind of sag in. Against a Duke team, it really didn't have too many consistent perimeter shooters. And then Cam Reddish can shoot it, but he didn't shoot the ball all that well. He had his adjustment issues within that system. So I think getting on a team with, with... some more shooting threats. Um, you add Kevin Durant, potentially that would be a, obviously that'd be a Hall of Fame level shooting threat to play alongside. <laughs> you know, that would really help out RJ Barrett. So I can definitely see a, a scenario in which he kind of stands out for that next team that really doesn't have a whole lot, even if you, if, even if they did strike it rich in free agency, because they have to fill those other spots and they won't have a lot of money to do it. And Barrett, you mentioned the volume factor. He can distribute, though. Average 22.6 points, 7.6 rebounds, 4.3 assists, yeah. 0.9 steals, and 1.93s. Again, not a good free throw shooter, uh, 66.5 from the line on nearly six attempts a game. But, you know, even if the volume is not there, you could see him, you know, facilitating some mm-hmm. and uh, carving out fantasy value. So I'm intrigued by Barrett, at least to some extent, because I, I don't think you're going to have to pay nearly the draft day cost that you will for Zion. Yeah. All right, you had, and I don't know if this has changed in version two of your mock draft, so let me know, but you had Jarrett Culver going fourth to the Lakers. Has that changed in version two? It hasn't. I know I've seen, I've seen some that have Darius Garland potentially going there, but I think the Lakers are going to potentially go for someone who can play a bit more off the ball. Garland can do it as well, but in Culver, you get a guy who's six foot six, can play off the likes of, of LeBron James. Even Lonzo Ball, you know, once he's healthy. But, you know, Culver did not shoot the ball from three particularly well this past season. Shot just over 30%. But as a freshman, he shot about 38%. And that was in a lineup that included Keenan Evans, an all-Big 12 point guard, and Zaire Smith. He just completed his rookie year in Philadelphia. So he, he was able to play off the ball a bit more as opposed to this season where he was a focal point in that Texas Tech offense. I think getting into a situation where he can play out the ball a bit more is going to benefit him and potentially add to his fantasy value, even though he may not, he probably won't score the 18.5 points per game that he did this past season. I think Culver is a sneaky, exciting name in this draft and mm-hmm. just in terms of fantasy for next year. Averaged 18.5 points, 6.5 rebounds, 3.7 assists, 1.5 steals, 0.6 blocks, 1.33s. You mentioned the shooting. 
But, you know, a better shooter as a freshman, 38% on three. So there's some hope there. And if you just watch the guy play, like, he just looks the part of kind of an mm-hmm. all-around uh, fantasy dynamo. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You know, you look at some of their other pieces on that roster, you know, notably a Josh Hart, you know, kind of in a similar mold in terms of being able to do a variety of things and not really disappear when playing off the ball. So, yeah, I think that would be a good move for the Lakers to make there. My faint hope as a Hawks fan is that everything's going to fall into place perfectly for Culver to drop to eighth. I know that is <laughs> that's not likely. I don't think it's impossible. But, yeah. uh, man, he'd be fun to see in Atlanta playing on the wing. And maybe, I mean, I don't know. I worry a little bit about what things would look like for him in L.A., but, mm-hmm. uh, but we'll find yeah. out. It's not the most stable situation in L.A. by any stretch. All right. So DeAndre Hunter forecast to go fifth to Cleveland in your original mock. I'm curious to hear what you think of Hunter in terms of fantasy. My concerns with him are his number. Let's just look at his numbers from Virginia. 15.2 points, 5.1 rebounds, 2.0 assists, 1.23s. That's all fine. Where I wonder is 0.6 steals and 0.6 blocks. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, you know. I know he's a good player in real life. No question about that. He, he's impressive. He's got a nice jump shot. He's a big guy who can play some down low. I worry, though, about the fantasy potential of a guy who only averaged 0.6 steals and 0.6 blocks in college. You don't usually see guys, you know, get to the NBA and suddenly make a huge leap in in those areas. I think what I would say, you hear a lot about, a lot of discussion about the impact of the Virginia system on his offensive numbers. Mm -hmm. I think that has an impact defensively, too. Like, this guy was an elite defender. And they play that pack line defense where, your goal is basically just you know keep guys out of the paint. So you're not really gambling, per se, going for steals and blocks. Yeah, very good positional defender, can guard multiple positions. I think we could see an uptick in those numbers just because of the change in, in systems. You know, Malcolm Brogdon was a guy who didn't put up the most impressive numbers during his time at Virginia, gets into the NBA, and he's Rookie of the Year. So I don't know if I'd project Rookie of the Year for Hunter, but I could definitely see him you know, putting up a bit more in those supplementary stats than he did during his time at UVA. All right, well, this is why we're having this conversation. <laughs> so you can, <laughs> you can change my opinion on some of these guys because I, mm-hmm. I, do, I do think Hunter's intriguing, as I said. But so yeah. that's, that's exciting to hear about the system and the potential for maybe you know, closer to one steal and one block mm-hmm. per game for this guy. Version one of your mock draft had Kobe White to the Phoenix Suns at number six. Is that still the case in version two? I'm probably going to flip it to Darius Garland. Okay. Um, you know, I, I feel that those two are really close together. You know, obviously John Moran at the top of the point guard class in this year's draft, but Kobe White, Darius Garland, they're both in, they both have potential. I think Garland would, would probably be given a bit more since he only played in five games this past season. He's going to have that medical question mark with the torn meniscus. If he checks out medically, I could see him being in a position where where he goes to Phoenix, I could also see him going to Chicago at seven. I just think those two are really, really close together. Uh, with in the case of Kobe White, he shot the ball, you know, decent this past season. I think Garland's a bit better of a shooter, and if you can play him a bit off of uh, Devin Booker, given the fact they put the ball in Booker's hands a bit more, some somewhat out of necessity because of their current point guard situation, Garland could potentially be a better fit there. I think from a production standpoint, obviously White would have the edge since he played the entire season. 
Okay, so let's let's start with White, and let's mm. say hypothetically he's the pick for Phoenix. Obviously, Phoenix at the moment a dream destination for a point guard in terms yeah. of just jumping into a job right away. Kobe White uh, at UNC put up 16.1 points, 4.1 dimes, 1.1 steals, 2.33s. Um, he looks like a, a pretty dynamic scorer to me. Um, you know, a guy who can catch and shoot, a guy who can shoot off the dribble, create his own shot. So I think he's pretty intriguing, kind of mm-hmm. a, a plug-and-play fantasy option. Do you want to disagree with that, or is that about where you land? No, that's about where I land as well. He plays extremely fast. That may be a bit of an adjustment for Phoenix early. That being said, I think they'd want to get in transition even more than they did with a point guard, be it Kobe White or even Darius Garland, because they really don't have a lot of consistent scoring options on that team right now. You know, it's Devin Booker, obviously. Who knows what's going to happen with Josh Jackson? You know, Kelly Oubre is a free agent, so we'll see what, what they do with him, although he did have a good good run during his time with the Suns after that trade. So that point guard hole is is a glaring one for Phoenix. It, it's obvious that they have to fill it, either through the draft or through free agency, but I think at minimum they're going to go the draft route, maybe even try to pick someone off in free agency as well. All right, so let's talk Darius Garland. Only played those five games, as you said, because of the meniscus injury. Really, four games and change. Uh, there are reports that he could have a promise from the Lakers or Suns. Let's just say, you know, he lands with the Suns, lands in a spot to produce. Four games at Vanderbilt. I'm not counting the fifth because he left early. Yeah. He averaged 19.8 points, 4.8 rebounds, 3.3 assists, which we'll talk about in a second, 1.0 steals, and 2.83s. If you watch video of him, which I did a little bit, He's a scorer. I mean, the yeah. the jump shot looks really smooth. He can get to the basket. All of those skills look like they'll translate to the NBA. I wonder, you know, we didn't really get much of a sample of him as a playmaker. He had four assists in three games and one assist in the other game. Yeah. I mean, you know, is he really just going to be a points and threes guy at the next level? Or do you think he can be, you know, a decent assist guy? I think he, he has the potential to be a decent assist guy. He'll be playing... If he goes to Phoenix, he'll be playing alongside a guy in Devin Booker who can really help with those assist numbers for him. You know, he played on a Vanderbilt team that was that was young for one, and two, as the season went on, just proved not be good at all. And, and that went be, that went beyond losing Darius Garland. Like you go zero and eighteen in conference play, not great. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's a lot more than just losing your point guard. I'm sorry, you know. So. <laughs> You know, I think he's got the potential to be more than just a points and threes guy. Those four games for a lot of freshmen, you're kind of you're trying to feel things out. Even though you've had some time in practice, it's different than live competition. So kind of feeling some things out. I think he'll be a bit better of an assist guy at the next level. But yeah, I think points and threes from the start will be his calling cards early. A, a true uh, mystery guy in the top of this mm-hmm. draft and, you know, a boomer bust pick. Um, yeah. It's going to be really intriguing to see where, where this guy lands and, and what he looks like. But based mm. on the limited video I saw, he looked impressive. Cam Reddish to the Hawks at number eight is a somewhat frequent scenario. And is that still the case in your version two, or has he moved? I think he's still going to be there. Okay. Um, I don't see him really moving up just because I think some of the other wings, that Culver and Hunter, have better, you know, not only better potential as well as better production. Reddish could definitely end up being a steal in this draft, playing alongside Trey Young because he's going to have a true setup guy at the point. I know they had Trey Jones at Duke, but as you noted earlier, that ball spent a lot of time in the hands of R.J. Barrett and even Zion Williamson. So that was a bit of an adjustment for Reddish, who had the ball in his hands a lot 
at the high school level. So I think playing alongside a point guard who can score and set him up is going to be beneficial to Reddish. I just don't see him kind of blowing up as some people may think he's he has the potential of doing after you know, kind of a so-so freshman season at Duke. The Hawks beat writer for The Athletic, Chris Kirshner, I saw a tweet from him saying that the Hawks have liked Reddish for a long time. Mm-hmm. To me, Reddish, like, if you see him uh, on a good night, I mean, like, he has, you know, NBA size. He looks, yeah. he just looks the part. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. he's big, he's athletic. He, he looks like he should have put up better than, you know, 13 and a half points per game yeah. on 35 percent shooting as a freshman yeah. so he was maybe it... kind of an yeah he was kind of an all airport guy you know <laughs> kind of you have to call it for what it was but i think some of that had to do with the fact that he's playing alongside two really ball dominant wings slash power forwards and that was a bit of an adjustment for him yeah yeah and i i normally am a big proponent of draft the guy who put up big college numbers. I've yeah. become a big believer in that. Like John Collins was a great example a couple of years ago, slipped to 19th in the draft because of, you know, various mm-hmm. reasons. But like he put up awesome numbers in college and he's already putting up awesome numbers in the pros. Sometimes those things just translate. Reddish yeah. to me is a case where I w- would maybe make an exception. I, I think, and I, as a Hawks fan, if they take him eighth, I'm very intrigued by that pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely wouldn't be a bad fit for him. I think it'd be a really good fit for him and the Hawks if that were to happen. So are there other names that uh, – other lottery names that really intrigue you in terms of fantasy? Obviously, we don't know where guys are going to land. So this is all up in the air. But just uh, in a vacuum, what are some of the other names when you start talking about, you know, Brandon Clark, Bull Bull, Nasir Little, anyone else, any of those guys sort of jump out at you as potentially being fantasy sleepers next year depending on where they land? I think Clark. Clark for sure because of his ability as a defender. And if he gets on a team, I have him in the last mock projected to go to Minnesota at 11. He's not going to have the ball in his hands much because they have Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. But a guy like him who can block shots, who can get in passing lanes, who can rebound the ball well, I think that could potentially be a good fit for him. Nasir Little, you know, getting in a situation where he'll be able to do a bit more on the ball than he did at North Carolina this past season, he could end up potentially being a steal in this draft as well. Bull Bull, I think, of the guys who could potentially go in the lottery just outside of it, he may be the one who's most dependent on where he lands. Because sure. if you pick him as your focal point five as a defender, I think he's going to struggle. He's really slender. I know he's he's a little bit over seven feet two in shoes, but his build, he's not the strongest player right now. He's extremely gifted athletically. He can score on all three levels. So I think if you can pair him up with a more rugged big, maybe let Bol Bol play a bit at the four at times, I think he could re- he could benefit from that. But if you're asking him to be that starting center, it could go it could go wrong in a hurry, almost like Thon Maker did in Milwaukee, although uh-huh. they didn't they didn't ask him to do that per se. But Bol Bol is the kind of guy that physically I think he's going to need some time to develop. So if you can keep him away from that physical banging in the paint, that would really benefit him early on. I mean, I think Bull Bull offensively is kind of like a seven foot two small forward, you know, yeah. like mm-hmm. he, he plays more like he's watched a lot of video of Kevin Durant than anything yeah. else. <laughs> but but yeah, I'd agree with that. I do, man. You know, those numbers in, you know, around 21 points, nine boards, nearly three blocks a game in his nine games at Oregon. Mm-hmm. That's got my attention, if nothing else. And Brandon Clark, man, 1.2 steals, 3.2 blocks for Gonzaga last year. 
So he, he's a, a pretty intriguing fantasy prospect as well. Let's talk quickly about Nasir Little, kind of, you know, another huge wild card, a bit along the lines of Reddish in terms of just a high upside prospect, no question, but the college numbers weren't there. I mean, what do you think of this guy? Uh, let's just say hypothetically he lands in just a perfect situation where he's starting and he's getting 30 minutes a game pretty early on. Do you think, uh, from what you've seen, from what you know, do you think he's going to produce? I think he can. You know, if you put him in my last mock, I had him going to Indiana. You, you know, you get Victor Oladipo back healthy, you've got a playmaker for him to play off of. You know, to kind of take, not really take away, but kind of limit the number of, you know, situations which he has to produce on his own. I think that would really benefit him offensively. Um, he shot the ball, put up decent shooting numbers in a different drills at the combine, however how much, you know, stock you want to put into those. But I think he's at, he has a potential to be a better shooter than what he showed himself to be last year, this past season at North Carolina. And he was playing behind an experienced front line. You talk about Cameron Johnson, who should also go in the first round. And then you got Luke May on that team as well. So, you know, he was kind of limited in terms of how much he was able to play since Roy Williams really likes to play his veterans. So I think he will. I don't think this is going to be a case of people looking back and saying that North Carolina held him back because I don't agree with that at all. And he even said that that wasn't the case. But I think he's a player who could take a step forward playing in an NBA-type system, playing alongside a high-level playmaker if he gets that kind of setup. I didn't watch a ton of Nasir Little this year, but I did see mm-hmm. at least one game where in about a five-minute span, he just completely took over. It was like yeah. he he was doing nothing, and then all of a sudden I was like, whoa. He like swatted a shot off the backboard, got a dunk at the other end, and mm-hmm. it was he was just suddenly like dominating the game. <laughs> so, yeah, you can definitely flip that switch. Yeah, so. yeah. All right, well... Raph, we'll have to do this again, man. This is great info on the draft. Your mock draft version two out on rotoworld.com on Wednesday. So everyone be sure to check that out. I will leave a link to that in the show notes. A reminder to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen, and take a moment to rate and review as well. Mike Gallagher is back with another episode on Friday, and we will be here next Wednesday as well. If you want to follow us on Twitter, he is at Raphael J. I am at Matt Straup. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Raphael, for taking the time, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.